Gerard Depardieu tries to reconcile with his estranged daughter. But everything goes south once she spins an elaborate lie. Coming up next on Out of Touchdown. Yes, before they let the dogs out, that was the Baja Men with a song called Back to the Island. They did most of the soundtrack for the Touchstone film we're about to discuss. Uh, welcome to Out of Touchstone. My name is Mike DeKalb. And on the other end of the Skype line is my co-host, Chad Smart. Chad, I know you're really, really fond of the Baja Men. Mike, uh, I have been waiting like two years for this episode because I can't remember why, but in the early days when we started this podcast, I was looking information up about touchstone films and somehow this one came up and the fact that the Baja men not only perform the songs on the soundtrack, they also perform in the movie. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to see, I, I was just waiting to when we got to talk about the Baja men and you already stole my, who let the dogs out, which I was going to use later in my recap of this, uh, of this movie. You can still use it. It's okay. uh, I, may, I may, we'll see how the conversation goes, but yeah, I am just so excited that, uh, you know, we always say we never expect to talk about certain things on uh, this uh, on this podcast. I don't think I'd ever expected in my life to mention the Baja men in relation to in, in actual relevance to what I'm discussing. Yeah, I, I kind of they've forgotten about them a little bit. It's been <laughs> 20 years, right? Yeah. Uh, well, before we move on to the films that we're going to discuss in this episode, I just wanted to pass along a quick little anecdote that came about. Uh, this is. Over the weekend, my wife and I went to a Doctor Who convention near uh, the LAX airport. They do it every year on President's Day weekend, and it's a big, it's a blast. And as with most comic book conventions or anything like that, there's always a lot of actors that will take pictures or sign autographs. Sometimes people who aren't even associated with the show, you know, they're just there separately. And and so actually, that's what happened. We came across there was an actor named Andrew Robinson. And my wife is a big fan of the Star Trek series, and he had been in Star Trek Deep Space Nine. And she always liked his character, and she was a big fan, and she saw him sitting at an autograph table, and she, and he was like, and we saw that he was going to be doing photographs. You could pay to get a picture with him. And she's like, oh, you know what? You know, I really like that character. I'm just going to go ahead and do it. And I said, you know, that's so funny. Andrew Robinson is in a touchstone film. He was in Shoot to Kill. And she was like, oh, yeah, you know, I really like that movie. She goes, maybe I should say something to him. I'm like, yeah, go ahead. And so... We, we stood in line when it was time to do the pictures. And, and when she got up, they, she just said, oh, you know, big fan, blah, blah, blah. And they take the picture. And as she's walking away, she says, hey, uh, my, wife, my, my husband and I just watched the, the film Shoot to Kill. And we thought it was really good. And he just kind of smiled. And he said, hey, did you think I was the killer? And <laughs> she was like, yeah, you know, yeah, I thought it was you. And she's like, ah, I got you. I fooled you. You know, and we were like, oh, that's so cool. And I was like, thanks, you know, thanks, honey, for, for bringing that movie up. And. Like maybe 20 minutes later, we went back down on the convention floor and he was back at his table 
signing autographs and there was nobody there. And so we said, okay, let's just kind of wander over. We chatted up, uh, chatted him up a little bit more. And we talked a little bit about like, he's, he's a teacher at USC. My wife used to work at USC. And so they talked a little bit about, about that connection. And I said, oh, you know, I, my friend and I host a podcast about touchstone movies and we really enjoyed shoot to kill. And he's like, Hey, I got a shoot to kill story for you. I'm like, sure, go ahead. And, and he said, there's a scene where uh, my character's been killed. I've been thrown off the side of a mountain and I'm lying in a stream in a river. And, and that's when Sidney Poitier and Tom Berenger come upon my dead body. And he goes, they, uh, they stuck me in this stream and he goes, I was freezing. I'm absolutely freezing. He's like, I got a wetsuit on under my clothes, but it's I'm still freezing. And I'm laying there waiting for them to to get the scene ready to shoot. And uh, he said, Sidney Poitier walked up to me and said, um, are you OK? <laughs> and, and he was like, I'm freezing. And Sidney Poitier stopped and just yelled and said, get this man out of this river until you're ready to start filming. And and he was and Andrew Robinson was like, I've never seen an actor of his stature just kind of stick up for the little me in the river. And he was he was like, I'll always, you know, always kind of miss him. And I'm like, oh, what a what a great story. But he was he was really, really genuine and really, 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 really nice. And I'm glad, like I said, we we did get a picture with Andrew Robinson. And he's really more known for uh, Dirty Harry. He's the killer in Dirty Harry. And then, like I said, he was on Deep Space Nine. But Shoot to Kill was a was a that was a pleasant surprise. Yeah, I mean, and I think that goes with. You know, all the Touchstone alums that we have uh, interacted with have all been very friendly. Um, so I think that goes to to the heart of Touchstone. But we'll see when we finally get the um, guy whose name I can't recall that was in Alive and uh, Vincent Spano. Vincent Spano, yes, Jesse's <laughs> brother. How do I keep forgetting? Yeah, we'll see if Vincent Spano is still the nice guy. That's still on our uh, bucket list of things to do. Ah. For this podcast, gotta, so gotta gotta find him, gotta <laughs> find him. All right, moving forward, we have reached February of 1994 on the Disney slate, and we're going to begin by taking a deep dive into the Touchstone film that was released on February the fourth. It is called My Father, the Hero. From Touchstone Pictures, she's after the man of her dreams. I and she won't let the truth. I told him you were my lover. Or her father. Are you out of your mind? Stand in her way. When I start lying, I can't stop. Now things are getting out of hand. He'll think I'm some kind of liar. You are. And only her dad can help her out. I believe you miss him. I missed him. You. I love you. I love you. I smile and I think he's fine. I... Gerard Depardieu, My Father the Hero, rated PG. Starts Friday, February 4th at a theater near you. This film was based on a 1991 French film pronounced, well, I'm going to try to pronounce it, Mon Père C'est Eros. That was written and directed by Gerard Lozier. The screenplay adaptation was from uh, another fine French filmmaker named Francis Weber. He had directed the 1989 touchstone film Three Fugitives, as well as many, many movies with Gerard Depardieu as well. Uh, and the co-screenwriting credit went to Charlie Peters. He'd done a couple of films for Disney recently. He wrote Three Men and a Little Lady for Touchstone, and he'd also done the Hollywood Pictures film, Passed Away. Oh, my God, don't get me started on Passed Away. <laughs> love it, love it, love it. Go watch it. Uh, the, my Father the Hero was directed by Steve Miner. Chad, tell me about Steve Miner. Steve Miner, I, you know, when his name came up on the credits, I'm like, I know that name, but I couldn't place him, so I had to look him up real quick. Uh, his first four films, Friday the 13th Part 2, Friday the 13th Part 3, House, wonderfully underrated house uh you know as a horror fan in the 80s so right there three great horror films and then he directed a movie that 
I think doesn't get a lot of um, respect and praise, and it's it's some of C. Thomas Howell's finest work. That is Soul Man, and so <laughs> I was I, I had very high expectations for my father, the hero, just based on the director alone. And I mean, we've discussed two Gerard Depardieu films on this podcast before. I'm still trying to figure out the the you know uh who he appeals to um besides the french audience but but yeah steve minor I, I i had high hopes so high yeah i forgot he also did uh warlock another sort of quasi horror film with with uh, julian sands right and then uh uh he did we worked at disney he did wild hearts can't be broken and his most recent film before my father the hero was the 1992 mel gibson picture forever young uh, as you mentioned, Gerard Depardieu, that is our star. He plays the character of Andre. He was a star of many French films in the 70s and 80s, several of them directed by Francis Bieber. And then he came to America to star in the touchstone film Green Card in 1990. Now, the only American film, and I say American film loosely because I think it was a co-production with a bunch of different countries, but the only film from a major American studio that he'd done in the meantime since Green Card was the 1992 film 1492 Conquest of Paradise in which he played Christopher Columbus. Um, and of course, as I mentioned, he also starred in the 1991 French version of this movie, Mon Père C'est Eros. I'm trying my pronunciation there. Uh, playing his daughter, Nicole, is Catherine Heigl. This was one of her first roles. In fact, she'd only had two prior credits before this. I was really impressed. Both of them were film credits. She'd never done any television or soap mm-hmm. operas like a lot of young stars that get they kind of had to find and get their start and get their footing. Uh, she did a 1992 film called That Night, and she was in the 1993 Steven Soderbergh film, King of the Hill. Chad, we always love our supporting cast. A lot of the supporting cast in this movie is very kind of sprinkled in. They don't have like extended parts other than Dalton James, who plays Ka- uh, Catherine Heigl's love interest in the film. I didn't realize he was an Encino man in 1992 for Hollywood Pictures. Uh, we also get the great Lauren Hutton, model turned actress she was of course was an american gigolo and once bitten um we have faith prince who plays i don't even know how you would describe her character she's not a love interest for gerard Depardieu. she's just sort of someone he can confide in while he's in this while he's on this vacation she was a broadway star had won i think believe she'd won a tony and she was also in the great ivan reitman comedy dave uh and finally we get one of those great faces chad i know you'll probably appreciate the character actor stephen tobolowski I do. He's currently can be seen as the principal on the Goldbergs. But yeah, he's just one of those guys that when he shows up, you're like, it's that guy. Yeah. Yeah. The range, too. I was looking at his like so many credits and, you know, he's in he's in comedy like Spaceballs. OK, well, then he turns around and does something like Selma and Louise. Oh, he does a little bit of action. Then he does Basic Instinct. I mm-hmm. forgot he was in Basic Instinct. And he was also in Groundhog Day. Like he yeah, he's all over the map. One of the, one of the greats. Exactly. All right. Well, we'll kind of we'll go into the movie as we always do by asking. Uh, I'll ask Chad a series of questions to kind of get to the heart of this very bizarre movie, <laughs> to say the least. Uh, first and foremost, like I said, it, the premise is pretty simple, if you want to call it that. Gerard Depardieu goes on vacation with his daughter. His daughter has a crush on this guy. In order to make him jealous, she tells him that Gerard Depardieu is actually her lover instead of her father. The rumor gets around. And it makes the film quite creepy. But creepy sometimes equals funny. And in this case, Chad, did you find the film funny? No. <laughs> <laughs> Very stupid. No, I, again, I, 
I had hopes for this film. I thought it would be good. I thought it'd be, I, you know, I, I sat there trying to figure out like, okay, is, you know, the French love Jerry Lewis. So mm-hmm. what is it about Gerard de Perdue that they find funny? Cause I just, I don't see him as a comedic actor and this film, I just, I, I mean, was it supposed to be funny? Cause I, I think it was, but, and, and maybe this is, you know, looking at a film 30 years later and looking at it, not only in terms of our society 30 years later, but also our age 30 years later, where this, the premise of the film doesn't really play for ha ha laughs as much. Cause Hmm. I mean, you know, my whole, the whole time I was watching, I'm like, are they in international waters? Do, uh, the statutory <laughs> laws not apply to wherever they are? Because you would think someone would have been calling the cops by now. But, yeah. Yeah. I feel like it was all just a lot of goofy hijinks, yeah. right? And the scenarios weren't very clever, sometimes a little bit too on the nose. There's a scene where they, where they go water skiing and I'm just like, okay, this movie's only about 90 minutes. And I feel like they really had to pad that runtime yeah. because that water skiing scene just goes on forever. And I don't understand any of the character motivations, right? Where it's like, she is upset with uh, George Perdue, but then she's protective of him, but then she's upset with him. And then she's protective. Like, like he can't win no matter, no matter what he does. And mm-hmm. there is a particular moment that just absolutely made my eyes roll and it's a moment where I think they're having dinner and she leaves and uh, George Deborah is talking with uh, Faith Prince. And she says, like, you know, they're waiting. I think there was, a, there was a band that had played and now there's nobody playing music. And so Faith Prince's character says, why don't you go up and play? And he's like, oh, no. And she's, she's good. No, go up and play. And by that time, everybody at the resort has already heard the rumor and they already think he's, he's a, a creep. Mm. And so he sits behind the piano and of all the songs, Chad, of <laughs> all the songs for him to play, he plays thank heaven for little girls. And I mean, I'm sure maybe back then, or maybe in the 1991 French film, it would be like, Oh my God, what? That's so, that's so clever. I, I, I just was like, no, no, no. Why, why that song? And of course everybody storms out and leaves. Oh my God. He's, Thank heaven for little girls. It's just a lot of real forced antics. And I just, I didn't quite get it. Yeah. So about 20 minutes into this film, I started looking up the reviews that I would pull for, you know, our review section of this podcast because I wanted to see, I was curious what other people have thought about this movie 30 years ago. Pretty much every review I read says that scene was the funniest moment of the film. Uh-huh. Which to me says one of two things: one, comedy's come a long way in thirty years, and two, if that's the funniest scene in the film, why are you giving that away in your review? I think had I not seen that, had had I not read the reviews, and then that came up, maybe I would have been like, oh, okay, it's funny. But because I knew it was coming now because of the review, I was like, okay, he's going to get up there and play "Thank Heaven for Little Girls," and everyone's going to get offended and and storm. And again. You know, going with the reviews, when I get to Roger Ebert's review later on, he makes some comments that uh, reminded me back to Big Business, you know, previous touchstone Mm -hmm. film that we both enjoyed. And similar in regard to My Father the Hero, they're both farces, you know, and it's all based on, on misinformation or you know, people not talking to each other. And, you know, again, when done well, it can be comical 
in this movie. And I think it, it's mainly maybe it's just the subject matter. It just isn't funny the way that I think it was intended to be funny, which, again, in 2022, I don't know how you make the subject matter funny. Yeah. And I feel like thank heaven for little girls. You know, we joke about it. Uh, there's a phrase we use, like the idea of a movie that's kind of written in a boardroom. Yeah. Now I know this is a French film and, and then the American, they made an American remake of it. But that scene to me feels like something that when the movie was pitched, they already had that scene mm. included. Like the screen, like the, whoever was writing the, the screenplay wasn't even done yet. And was just like, you know, when I had this idea for this movie about this guy who has to, who, who his daughter pretends that he's her lover instead of her father. It's almost like, oh, I got to have that scene where he plays things everything every little girls. Mm -hmm. Like, it just that's why it just felt a little bit forced, yeah. you know. And as you said, like, okay, the next question. First, my first question is, did you think <laughs> it was funny? The second question is, did you think it was creepy? You know, because it just yeah. felt like when you're making a 14-year-old girl the object of the male gaze, it was a little unsettling. You yeah. know, I think there was, especially there's a scene where she puts on a thong. Mm -hmm. And I, I think I read somewhere that, like, on some of the TV versions, they sort of digitally alter the bathing suit. I know they did but, for the commercial when it first came out. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm that, the, I, I didn't, obviously I didn't know it was coming. And when that scene comes on, you're like, wait, what, hmm. you know? And it's just like, I mean, maybe you want to appeal to teenage audiences, yeah. but that's, that's a really hard sell. Well, and I don't know if you read all the IMDB trivia on this, but, uh, Catherine Heigl has kind of, I don't say denounced the film, but has expressed, you know, her unpleasantness with some of the aspects of the film and saying like, you know, I was 14 mm -hmm. years old. I didn't know any better and whatnot. But I believe they also said that it was between her and um, Alicia Silverstone for the role of Nicole. And the director thought that Catherine Heigl looked younger and more innocent and also thought she would look better in the thong, which uh, yay, Hollywood. I don't want to, I, I, like I said, sometimes IMDb trivia, I don't know how fact-based right. it is. And we, we, we just, you just sang Steve Miner's praises a minute ago. I hope I that's not the case. I hope it wasn't just, Hey, I want her because she'll look good in the thong. That's yeah. Yeah. But again, just it, it, I don't know if it's supposed to play better. Maybe it plays better in France. Maybe this idea of the farce, but it just, like I said, it, it just came off as a little bit too creepy. And like yeah. you said, it, maybe it's because we're watching it 30 years on. I mean, I remember, do you, you remember this being in theaters back in the day? Yeah. And I remember the, the thong scene in question and how that they had uh, edited it to be more of a full back swimsuit in the commercials. And mm. so, you know, that was like, I don't want to say it was a scandal at the time, but it, it didn't make the, the pre-internet movie magazine gossip columns. Daddy, can I talk to you about something? Of course you can talk to me about anything. Anything? Anything at all. What is it? Tell me. Promise not to yell. I promise. Now tell me. It's really not that bad. Tell me. You said you wouldn't yell. That was not yelling. Trust me. I told Ben you weren't my father. Why? Because I wanted to impress him. <laughs> what did you tell him I was? A famous pianist? A writer? What? I told him you were my lover. Are you serious? Yes. Are you out of your mind? What the hell were you thinking about? You're yelling! Of course I'm yelling! My daughter tells some stranger that her father is her... her... Lover! Oh! I hate that word. It's so, so graphic. Who else thinks this? 
A few of the other people. How many of them? All of them. All of them? Incroyable. I've been walking around here with you the past few days. They think I'm child molester. You're yelling again. All right, now this is another question that I was thinking about mm -hmm. as I was watching the movie, and I hope it makes some sense, and I'll see what you think. Mm -hmm. Would this film have worked or have possibly been funnier if Nicole was older? Well, let me ask you this. Have you seen the... Well, let me rephrase this. Charlie Peters, the writer who helped adapt this for, you know, from the French version, he has a previous screenplay credit for the movie uh, Blame It on Rio. Oh, okay. Have you seen Blame It on Rio? No, but I know the premise is kind of similar, right? Yeah. Younger, Michael, younger Michael, man, or older man, younger, younger woman. Yeah, Michael Caine and Demi Moore plays his daughter. And I believe it's Joseph. And I don't know if it's actually Bologna or... Bologna. Bologna, Bologna I think, yeah. Bologna. Uh, and I can't think of who plays his daughter, but they go down to Rio for a you know, little combined vacation. And then um, the daughter, Joseph's daughter, ends up hooking up with Michael Caine. And it's this whole thing. And, and that one, I mean... Again, I just watched that in the last year or so. Kind of creepy in that regard, but but the girl is at least of age. She's of age, right? Okay. And so it kind of you know, and it's and there are some farcical moments in that one as well that do come off as funny. Uh, I think in My Father the Hero, yeah, because Nicole is fourteen, and even you know when she meets the guy that she's attracted to, she's like, "Oh, I'm eighteen. and then it's like later, it's like, "No, I'm sixteen. And mm. even then, it's still like, okay, this, you know, the, the the guy that she's in love with or, you know, fascinated with, he shouldn't even want to be with her because, yeah. you know, I'm guessing he's at least, I, I would have taken him for at least 21. Yeah, I think because he's drinking, right? Yeah. Unless it's the, in the Bahamas, uh, yeah. I think, where they go. Maybe it's maybe the drinking age was a little bit younger than that. But, yeah, no, that makes a good point. Like, I feel like. The movie, it's almost like it's almost like they saw Blame It on Rio mm -hmm. and said, you know what, let's take that and make her younger. Younger. You know, because I, I feel like I'm, I'm going to uh, reference a movie that I absolutely love, which is Weekend at Bernie's. Mm -hmm. And I feel like if you had made Nicole older and you want to make it more farcical, you would have had more better opportunities for just some cle more clever scenarios yeah. and clever writing, like something like Weekend at Bernie's did. Like, that's a that's a pretty simple premise, but yet it just works mm -hmm. because the, because of the scenarios that they get into, I, I, I find it a little bit more enjoyable. Like even the water skiing scene in that movie is a lot more <laughs> funny than the water skiing scenes yes. in My Father the Hero. But uh, yeah, and then I, I got to ask you though, what was the point of the vacation? Because it just seems like you know, the beginning of the movie, Gerard Depardieu shows up in in New York, right, mm -hmm. to pick her up and take her down to the Bahamas. And it seems like she is she just she just ruins it from the very beginning. She's mm. she's complaining and whining the whole time. Then the, as soon as they get down there, then she starts this spinning this this lie about him, you know. But I'm just, and I'm wondering like, was is he supposed to have been a bad father? And this is their attempt to grow closer because we only get just passing references mm -hmm. to his parenting skills, just like in random dialogue. We don't we have no idea. I don't even know what they're down there for, other than just that simple idea of oh to grow closer. Yeah. Yeah. The, the impression I got was that, you know, he lives in Paris and so he, they haven't seen each other in like 10 years and he hasn't really kept in touch because there's a lot of things where he, you know, he'll bring her a drink or something to eat. And she's like, I don't like that anymore. You know, I like that when I was younger and, mm. and yeah, why the vacation? Cause she's spending the summer. She's supposed to be spending the summer with him, but 
you know, why did they take this vacation? Why not just go back to Paris? Why? And especially given, um, you know, the, the sub subplot of the film is uh, Gerard de Perdue keeps calling his girlfriend in Paris and she doesn't answer. And yeah. It, mm-hmm. it's, this whole plot just doesn't, you know, uh, if, the, if Adam Sandler was the star of this film, we would say, well, it takes place in the Bahamas because they wanted to go to the Bahamas on vacation. So sure. uh, maybe that was the case with this movie. I don't know. And I, mm-hmm. I did not watch the original French film. So I don't know where that takes place, but mm. um, and I after watching this movie, I have no desire to watch that French film, oh. um, because especially since George A. Produce apparently plays the same character but less relaxed or less funny. Uh, oh, yeah. So I don't know. Yeah, I think this is just a movie where they're like, "Hey, wouldn't it be great to set this in the Bahamas?" Well, yeah. And like you said, I mean, it, it's it goes back to that simple yeah. idea of the simple premise where if you're going to have a teenage girl who, you know, they're, they're always going to be very emotional. It's like she's like a petulant child. And that's the last question I was going to ask you is, like, are we supposed to sympathize with her? Because I felt like she was just annoying from the start and it just got worse. Like, I think we did a touchstone movie a couple of years ago called Captain Ron. Mm-hmm. And that had the, the I think the, it was a daughter and a son that go with them, go with Martin Short on this yeah. trip. And the daughter doesn't want to be there. But, you know, she doesn't really make it so such a real pain. Like, she doesn't, she's not difficult to deal with. She's kind of, oh, whatever, I'll go along for the ride. And, like, I don't know. I've always thought that sometimes when it comes to movies, you're supposed to make characters sympathetic. You want the audience to like them. And I, I had a hard time liking her, like I said, from the moment the film began. Yeah, and this is going to be a backhanded compliment to um, – it's either a backhanded compliment or a forehanded insult to Catherine Heigl. <laughs> Take your choice. But um, Catherine Heigl has a reputation of being difficult to work with. I think, you know, if you have followed her that. career, you've probably familiar with this. I was very impressed at how well she had that icy kind of bitchy stare down at 14. Like – I was like, wow, mm-hmm. it's it's been there for a while. Um, and so, yeah, I'm I'm with you where she's not likable in the beginning. I don't know why why uh, her father decides to go along with her plot. Yeah, you know, afterwards <laughs> because I'm like, okay, you're still pretending that she's your lover, and she's still only 14. Like, again, I guess, like, why why did no one call the cops? That's you know, if mm-hmm. if you see something, say something. But, well, that's, and that's the joke. The joke is just, well, they're French, right? Like uh, we talked about it in the last episode with Cabin Boy where I didn't yeah. find that funny at all. And I thought so many of the, the jokes were like, if you don't like them, then the people who do like them say, oh, well, that's the joke. You don't, don't you yeah. get it? That's the joke. And so I feel like the whole time in this movie, whenever you get creeped out and whenever you say, hey, I'm, no one's doing anything, they just go, oh, it's French. That's how they do it in France, especially when you see the thong, right? That someone yeah. says, oh, now she looks French or whatever. That, that, that's such a cop-out. Which that I can understand. I'm like, okay, that especially 30 years ago when thongs, you know, in public, I think were still kind of taboo. I could see that part being French. But I think pretty much, again, I'm, I'm going to just keep using the word statutory, uh, <laughs> is illegal pretty much everywhere. And yeah. Again, I, I, I think like you like we just discussed a few minutes ago, had she been 18 and on vacation, that would have been different. But because mm-hmm. she's so because she's so young, it just doesn't. I, then maybe that's why this film does not work for me. It's and the fact that's not funny either. But but the, mm-hmm. the situations don't play out well because I think of the age 
Yeah, and then like if you want to have that extra subplot where you've got Gerard Depardieu and his relationship, you know, with with his girlfriend over the phone, mm-hmm. and then yeah, if you had made her of age and then she has a crush on this boy, but then what really got me was seeing this fourteen year old girl throwing the word love around, and like as if she know what that as if she knew what that meant. And I know it's it's something that people throw around just haphazardly. You love, you know, no, you got to really know what it means. And I always like to tell this story because I believe I was about 14 at the time when I was in high school. I had a crush on this girl and I had one of those dry erase board calendars in my in my bedroom. Mm-hmm. And I remember I liked her. Her name is Linda. And I liked I really liked her. And I used to write on my dry erase board. I love Linda. And I remember one day. I went, I came home and I went to my bedroom and the word love had been erased. And I was like, well, that's weird. And so I rewrote it back in there. I wrote the word love. I love Linda. And then the next day I saw that the word love had been erased. And I I was like, okay, what? And I was having dinner that day or a day or later or whatever. And I was talking about it at my dinner table. And my dad was like, yeah, I did that. And I was like, well, why, why, why did you do that? And he said, you have no idea what that word means. Mm. You know, you're 14 years old. You're not, it's, it's, it's no concept of it. And so like, I, I figured if, if, if this would have, she'd have been in, in her early twenties or something, or at least close to the same age as the guy, right? Mm-hmm. Like then maybe he could be like, oh, let me help her get with this, with this guy. You know, she's maybe that might, I might look better in her eyes. I think that's what Gerard Depardieu was thinking. But when she just goes, but I love him. I'm like, you're 14. Yeah. Really? You're 14 and you're on vacation. How can you possibly right. possibly know these feelings? And then, of course, the third act is like this, you know, this dramatic climax where he's got he's to he's help her. And then it really gets all sentimental. And I'm like, by that point, I had already checked out and I just I, 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 was, I was done with it. Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you. I think uh, this movie just much like Cabin Boy, a short runtime that seems longer than it is. And, mm. and yeah, the whole concept doesn't make sense of love and, and relationships. And I, I don't, I don't know. I, I say, let's just, uh, I, I think we've talked about this movie far more than the writers, uh, did. Well, again, it sounds like neither of us, one of us have liked it. What did the other prominent critics from the era have to say about my father, the uh, hero? Jack? Well, I only pulled two reviews because a lot of the reviews didn't really have a, uh, any good soundbite clips and even the review that I'm going to start with from Roger Ebert doesn't have a good, uh, clip other than to say that, uh, thank heaven for little girls is the funniest scene in the movie. You mean, I mean, are you pulling a review from the great Roger Ebert? <laughs> yes. Um, but he kind of sums up again, why this movie probably didn't work for us. And he says a movie like this depends on the tried and true rules of farce, including one people must always overhear what the plot requires them to overhear and nothing else Two, dialogue must be carefully constructed to mean one thing. If you're in on the secret and another thing, if you're not three, the two quote rival lovers must sooner or later have a showdown and four, the farcical situation must result in a series of crises. My father, the hero, is particularly awkward when it comes to the fourth category. And he gave the movie two stars. Mm. And then uh, Lisa Schwartzbaum from Entertainment Weekly said, A hateful family comedy based on jokey insinuations of incest. 
To impress a cute guy at a Bahamas beach resort, a flirtatious 14-year-old concocts the story that her innocent father, who happily flashes his bronze gut, is actually her lover. Even sophisticates should feel discomfort. I could see. I wonder if female film critics had a bigger problem with this movie than male film yeah. critics. I bet you. Yeah. Uh, probably, but I think everyone should have had a problem with this film. Yeah. Well, uh, scale of one to ten, Chad. Where do you come down on this film? I, I'm not going to go so far as to give it a one, just because I think there might be like at least two redeeming scenes. And I actually thought Catherine Heigl did a good job in her acting. Uh, I'm giving it a two. I hope to never have to watch this movie again. I just, again, I think everything that we have discussed about how to make it better or at least not as creepy would probably make the, been a better way to go with the film instead of trying to understand why people think a 16-year-old dating a guy old enough to be her father is something that uh, should just be you know, frowned upon but not acted upon. Well, we reserved the one out of tens for the cabin boys of the world. <laughs> and unfortunately, Touchstone's 1994 slate is not starting off really well. I also gave it a two out of ten. Um, you know, the subject matter made it really hard to watch. And I, something else we didn't talk about was I feel like they didn't make enough of the locale. Mm-hmm. You know, they didn't they didn't take, make the most out of it. You know, if you're going to go on this vacation and you want to kind of get closer to your daughter, you're just going to sit at a hotel for the whole time. Like, I, I, I would you not go out? I, mean, I guess they did the little water skiing scene, yeah. but they didn't really they didn't really go anywhere else in that whole town. They just sat in the hotel, went to the pool, hung out on the beach. Yeah. It, and like I said, it, it was a one joke premise that I really thought could not maintain a feature length. There were too many scenes like that felt like they were just padding it out to, to even get to the 90 minute runtime. Yeah. I wasn't really feeling it uh, from a trivia standpoint. We've talked about. Uh, Gerard Depardieu's character has a girlfriend that he only calls her on the phone. You hear her voice leaving him messages. And then at the very end, you finally see her, and it's played by the wonderful Emma Thompson, who was uncredited in the film. Um, was, that was a pleasant surprise. I, I, I wonder if she speaks very highly of this movie you know, in her post-career. Uh, and the other trivia standpoint was uh, that Gerard Depardieu actually does play the piano live in this film like that scene when he's doing think heaven for little girls and i remember correctly i didn't, i couldn't find it in my notes but i'm i'm pretty sure doesn't he play the piano in green card as well yeah because that's part of a whole scene where you think he's going to just you know not know how to play but then oh magically mm. he does know how to play the piano that's right that's right uh uh for personal connection i could not find anybody in this movie that i felt like you and i had ever encountered at, at a screening or a q and I mean. I'm sure it's Steven Tobolowski. We may bump into him at, at a grocery store one time. I don't know. He's probably around. Uh, the last thing I always like to look at is the legacy of the film. Well, I mean, it already itself was a remake. I think with the subject matter, I don't think it's going to be remade again. But um, I think the one thing it did do is that, like you said, it, it kind of put Katherine Heigl on the map, right? That sort mm-hmm. of began her upward trajectory. She ends up doing, I want to say she did Roswell, right? Did she? I was going to say Under Siege 2. Did she do that? Under Siege. Um, oh, okay, sure. <laughs> we can look at IMDb. I, I don't. I don't want to bother. I, I just, <laughs> the less we say about this movie, the better. But uh, yeah, I'm ready to move on. Chad, do we? Do we are ready? Are we ready to leave the island? Uh, you know, I, I have two comments. And since you already took the Hobmans, I was going to say, you know, they. This is the dogs they were talking about letting out. But I'm also going to say, ditch the father, the hero, and get with Vanilla Ice, the real hero. 
How did it go? He's very impressed by you. He thinks you're a great guy. What a relief. And I told him I'm staying with you. Isn't he jealous? I told him there's nothing to be jealous of. That there's nothing between us anymore because of... I promise you won't get mad. Why do I get so frightened every time you ask me that? Because of your heart. My heart? What about my heart? I told him you were dying. I'm dying now? Daddy, I told him I had to stay with you for your final days. My final days? What's the matter with you? I don't know. When I start lying, I can't stop. It's kind of addictive. What I'm dying of? A rare disease you caught in Africa. When was I in Africa? During the Hundred Years' War. The Hundred Years' War was in the Middle Ages, in Europe. He didn't seem to notice. Why not the Crusades? Well, let's look at the other film that Disney released in February of 1994. It came out one week later on February 11th. We released by Walt Disney Pictures, and it's called Blank Check. From Walt Disney Pictures, the last thing Preston Waters expected Blank check. was for the bank to cash his check. Yeah! Now, the last thing he intends to do... I worked hard to steal that money, and this kid's not going to get away with it. ...is let three crooks take the money back. Disney's blank check. It might be easier just to steal another million dollars. Rated PG. This was directed by Rupert Wainwright. It was actually his feature debut. He'd done a handful of TV movies, including that wonderful movie with Mark Harmon playing John Dillinger. And I saw that he'd done a lot of hip-hop music <laughs> videos for artists such as MC Hammer and N.W.A. We'll see that as it goes into this movie. This movie looks like a music video at times, and it also has a rapper in it, too. Uh, the film was written by Blake Snyder. Uh, his credits include Kids Incorporated, as well as the Sylvester Stallone, Estelle Getty comedy, Stop or My Mom Will Shoot. And the other screenwriting credit was for from Colby Carr, who was, this was his only writing credit as of, as of now, I guess, yeah. Uh, the premise is pretty simple. It's Brian Bonsall, who was who played uh, the youngest Keaton in Family Ties. He was also in Fatherhood for Hollywood Pictures the year before. Uh, he finds a $1 million check and tries to spend it while he's being chased by the gangsters who were trying to get the money back. We also get Karen Duffy, who was the MTV VJ Duff that stole my heart in the early 90s. She also co-stars in the film. Uh, I always like to look and see if there's any kind of personnel connection, I call it, if, if any of the actors had done other recent Disney or Touchstone films. And we got a few. Uh, the great character actor, the late great character actor, unfortunately, Miguel Ferrer. He had done another stakeout the year before for Touchstone. We also get Rick Dukeman, another great character actor. He was an Encino man for Hollywood Pictures a couple of years earlier. And another, once again, another fantastic character actor, uh, the great Michael Lerner, who had done Newsies for Disney a couple of years ago. Um, Chad, I mean, I thought this was uh, really, it was fun. It's, it's a very fun movie. It's, it's what you expect from a Disney family picture. It had, and it also had an early 1990s vibe that I really, really got into because it kind of reminded me so much. When you watch this film, you're like, this is 1994 on screen. Yeah, this is, this is a fun film. And I'm glad you brought it up about the director because I was going to say probably my only kind of complaint with this film is it looks like, a music video. It's, you know, a lot of quick editing, a lot of tight, tight shots, but it's just, this is another film that is the reason why we started doing this podcast. Yeah. Because these are the type of movies that I miss. Oh yeah. Yeah. I get really nostalgic about it. I mean, 
I, I, we talked about it on the last episode. I obviously I don't want to get back into Cabin Boy, but <laughs> it was nice to see the air up there in Iron Will because, you, like I said, you could kind of get an idea of what this studio was doing and how they had different factions and different executives. Okay, how can we have a varied slate in theaters to give people options? I love options, and My Father the Hero is not something that I ever want to watch again, or again, I did not see it in the theater. Blank check, I would have been a little bit too old. You and I were both in college when this movie came out, but it's something that as I now get into my 40s, I find myself kind of more drawn to those movies because I don't want to see something with too heavy of a subject matter, and this is where I really, really love Disney Plus, not a sponsor. Because this is they have all of these great movies from that era that you totally forget about. And I was telling some coworkers recently about this movie, and I said, you know, it's on Disney Plus, you gotta check it out. And they were and almost two of two every single one, they were just like, you know what, I think I will, I think I will. You know, it's I mean again, it's not you know over the top stellar acting, you know, but it's got it's got some great character actors and it's got you also forget that Brian Bonsall's father is played by James Rebhorn. You know, you get Tone Loke. You know, I was always kind of to see Tone Loke, the rapper, in, in some movies. And, and uh, the only part that really made me just roll my eyes and get very upset is there's a scene at the beginning of the movie after he gets the million dollars and he goes to buy this house. And this house is like a castle. I mean, it's, it, seriously, it looks like a castle. And do you remember what the asking price for the house was when he goes in to buy it? Uh, like two hundred thousand. I, th- I want to say it's it's listed for a hundred and fifty thousand dollars, and then as Miguel Ferrer is trying to buy it, and then Ryan Bonsall calls up with like a fake voice and gets him to go all the way up. Oh my God, Chad, all the way up to three hundred thousand <laughs> for this house, and and that's. I mean, I only say this, you know, for the for the listeners out there. My wife and I are trying to buy a house, and it's not even close to that <laughs> kind of numbers right now, and it's insane. But yeah, I was I had to kind of do a double take. $150,000 was the asking price for this castle in 1994. <laughs> but yeah, and again, it's it's a silly premise, but it's one of those ones that you know, if you just if you don't think too hard about it and just sit back and enjoy, it, you know, there's always a room there's always room for that, right? There's always yeah. room for these popcorn pictures, right? And we talk about like the mid-budget film. I know we've, we've got some I've seen a lot of traction on Twitter. We've got a lot of new followers to my Twitter account, so I hope they're listening to this show to talk about how what Disney and Touchstone and Hollywood Pictures were doing back in the day with these mid-budget films. And you you could take, like you said, we how many times have we talked about it on, on the podcast before where Touchstone was either a first-time writer or a first-time director, right? Mm-hmm. Giving, them their, giving them their start so that they can establish themselves in the industry. Also, you got a lot of actors. Again, we mentioned Tone Loaf. I, I don't remember uh, Duff, Karen Duffy, being in anything else before this, but I remember it being a big deal when it came out. Like, I didn't see this movie in the theater, I remember commercials, but I was watching a lot of MTV. And again, like most 17-year-olds at the time, I had a huge crush on Duff. And and it was like, hey, she's going to be in this movie with the kid from Family Ties for Disney. And and it was, oh, well, good for her, you know. And so it was it was nice to finally, even though it took almost 30 years, it was nice to finally get to see it. Yeah, and I had watched this probably about a year and a half ago. Um, I think probably when I started doing my top 100 films of the year at box office viewing and, and I enjoyed it then I, I rewatched it before this podcast and yeah, it's just a fun, I mean, yeah, there's a lot of, Oh, that would never happen. Or, Oh, come on. He can't, yeah. you know, cause I mean, a kid walks in with a check for a million dollars and they just go like, okay, yeah, we can give you the money. And, and the whole 
I guess going with the farce, the mix up with the bank president who he thinks is supposed to be coming in and picking up mm-hmm. this money. And it's like, OK, you're, you're really going to give a million dollars to, you know, this 12 year old kid. Come on. <laughs> but uh, Well, that's a funny part, right? Do you think that it's, it's so funny because if my father here was supposed to be a more serious picture that adults could appreciate mm-hmm. like that was, was more realistic as compared to this Disney kids movie. Yet I felt that the farce actually played better in Blank Check. Yeah, no, it it did, and I think also you just had better. I don't want to necessarily say better actors, but you had better uh, motivation. Let's there you back. go. There we go. And yeah. um, you know, Tone Loke. You and I, are big fans of Ace Ace Ventura. He, which he was also in Ace Ventura, but I was going with Ford Fairlane. Ah, uh, yes. Know. Uh, yeah, I, I think Tone Loke is an underrated um, character actor or, mm-hmm. you know, henchman, sidekick actor. So sure. check that out. And and yeah, I just again, I, I can't say enough. This is movie. This, this is just a fun movie. Just enjoy. It. And especially I've been watching, you know, a lot of the Oscar nominated films and they're so slow and they're so long. And I'm just like, this is a good 90 minute just in and out, get to the point, get it done, go with it, you know? So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. And, and, and try not to forget about, try and try not to try to look past the, what you would call the statutory issues. Yeah, I think, I mean, you know, that, but, because, but it played better in this movie because the whole thing is, you know, he has a crush on, on Duff. Again, yeah. I got to reiterate, most of the <laughs> heterosexual boys in America in 1994 had a crush on Duff if right. they'd ever watched MTV. And so, but I like that. How, I like how they play it in this movie where it's like, well, he obviously cannot get with her right. and she's obviously not trying to get with him, mm-hmm. but it's, it's sort of that childhood fantasy, you know, especially I mean, it, it's a fantasy in and of itself. You got a million dollar check. What are you going to do with it? And so I think it just kind of adds another level to the fantasy where he's got, he's going to, he's spending time with this gorgeous woman, yeah. you know, and then I love how it kind of plays out at the end where she's just sort of like, Hey, you know, give me a call a few years later. Yeah. Like it, it wasn't creeping in any way as compared to our previous movie. Yeah. This is another great example of sometimes how I wish the podcast was called out of Hollywood or out of Disney when they, again, I'm glad we did the reformat because it's nice to kind of take some of the pressure off the touchdown movie when it's not as good. And you can find yourself kind of enjoying something else from the studio. Um, All right. Well, let's let's wrap up the show. Like we always do by looking at the box office performance of the films. Eh, Not, not great, but not terrible. I guess we'll start with my father, the hero again, released on February 4th. I'd finished fourth in its opening weekend with $5.6 million. The other films that opened that weekend were Ace Ventura Pet Detective, which finished first. Uh, I'll Do Anything, which finished fifth. Uh, an action film called Gunman, which finished 12th. And Romeo is Bleeding, which I remember seeing that back in the day. Gary Oldman, Lena Olin, I think. That finished 16th place. Uh, the only Disney films on the charts at the time, uh, Iron Will was in 10th place and Tombstone was in 14th place. Uh, and its second week, my Father the Hero drops to eighth behind three new films. We, uh, we get The Getaway, the remake with uh, Alec Baldwin and Kim Basinger, My Girl 2, as well as Blank Check. Plus, we get a lot of the previous year's Oscar contenders are starting to go wide at that time. Uh, it holds steady from eighth to ninth place in its third week. And President's Day brings about three new films that would have been On Deadly Ground, Reality Bites, and Blue Chips. Still maintaining a its fourth week. It only drops to 10th place. We get two more new films, Sugar Hill and Eight Seconds. And its final week in the box office, it drops to 15th place and then falls off the charts 
after five weeks. It grosses $25.5 million in its entire theatrical run. I could not find any budget info on it. I, I don't think it could have been that much for, this, for, the, for the, the talent other than maybe George Depardieu or paying for the locations for filming down in the Bahamas. But uh, yeah, and our second film, Blank Check, that was released February 11th, the week after My Father the Hero. It's opening weekend, it finished third with $5.4 million. As I mentioned, the films that opened against were The Getaway, which finished second, and My Girl 2, which finished fourth. At that point, My Father the Hero the, uh, was the only other Disney film on the charts, and that was in eighth place. Uh, it drops from third to fourth for the second and third week, so it kind of holds steady. It, you know, there were three new movies in its second week and two new movies in its third week, and yet it kind of just holds around that same spot. Uh, it drops all the way down to eighth place in its fourth week and then twelfth the week after. We're starting to see more PG-13 comedies being released around that time. You get movies like Greedy, The Chase, Guarding Tess, Lightning Jack, and also The Ref, our next Touchstone film. Uh, just like My Father the Hero, Blank Check does five weeks at the box office charts. Grosses a little bit more. It grosses $30.6 million. But here we go, Chad. The budget's only $13 million. So as we like to say, if you can do two to two and a half times, you're, you're breaking even. So that's right about it, right about breaking even. Well, if you want to analyze the box office, again, which we, I, I like to say now that we're going to be doing the movies in chronological order, I think Chad and I will look at these critically as if we were marketing executives at Disney. Uh, I feel like, you know, we got two comedies that are aimed towards younger audiences. You know, we've got kids for Blank Check. We've got teenagers more for My Father the Hero. And it's nicely slotted into a field full of, you know, like leftover Oscar contenders. Plus, you got a lot of thrillers and dramas. I did look up and I saw that the Oscar ceremony in 1994 wasn't until March 21st. But most of the contending films for those Oscars had already fallen down the charts by early February. You know, only it seemed like only Schindler's List and Philadelphia were still performing around that time. And so I wonder, like, Chad, did it seem like were the contenders not that strong or perhaps people had already seen them? Or maybe the studios didn't do like they do, they do sometimes now where they bring them back into the theaters because it. It seemed like we had a, had a chance for these comedies to, to do some good business. Yeah, I would have to look and see when the, the Oscar films were initially released to see if they, you know, came out early in the fall or because I'm sure they were released late in the year. And, not, yeah. you know, not like Silence of the Lambs, which had come out the previous February or March. <laughs> came out. But, yeah, uh, and I just want to say, I, I really hope both of these films were aimed towards a younger audience. I hope My Father the Hero was not aimed at an adult audience. But Oh, God. Yeah. I would also hope that. Yeah, and like I said, as I mentioned, I, I'm really impressed that both films managed to, to hold steady amidst, amidst a bunch of new releases, you know? I feel like, you know, the newer movies would open in a higher spot, and then the week after, they would fall behind these two Disney films. So that, that's, that's to, to their credit, maybe there was a little bit of, legs we like to say in the box office terms or some staying power you know that i feel like the, the top spots in february and early march were were held by some serious star vehicles you know obviously ace ventura you had a star you had jim carrey had just done four years of in living color so he was a star on his on his way up this was his starring debut and then we also get on deadly ground which was you know sadly it would be a star mm -hmm. on his way down i had to look this this up you know steven seagal at that time would have been Again, I say on his way down. I'm not trying to be too critical. He was huge in that late 80s, early 90s pocket. And this was only, On Deadly Ground was only his sixth film, but it was the fifth one in a row that opened at number one. Mm. 
And I think from that point on, I think he only had maybe one or two other films open at number one after that. But uh, yeah. And so, like I said, it's, it's, they're fun. At least Blank Check was a fun movie. My father, the hero, may have had its moments. It may have had an audience. Again, if some people thought it was funny, some of those critics did. You know, neither one of these is like a remarkable film, but I feel like they each held their own and had a respectable run for what they were, right? Comedies aimed at younger audiences, and they, they served as good counter-programming for Oscar contenders or just movies aimed at adults, thrillers, anything for adults to go on a date night. This is something we could drop the kids off or drop the teenagers off at the mall, right? Yeah, I think, again, this is, you know, the, the time in cinema history, I guess, that I miss where a film could have a target audience. It, a film didn't have to appeal to every quadrant of the, you know, of the audience. And so you would get, like you said, teenage, you know, mom and dad go out and watch Schindler's List. Kids go watch Blank Check. <laughs> and then have two more hours to kill yes. while they wait for it. <laughs> <laughs> then you go to the arcade and you play video games, you know, it's, it's a great true. time. Yeah. Yeah. I do. Like I said, I do miss that. I may, we may, you and I may have been a little bit older than the target audience yeah. for blank check, but when you watch it again as an adult now, it just, it kind of makes you feel like a kid again. So I'm, I'm glad I got to see this. Yeah. yeah. Uh, from an awards consideration standpoint, I did see that my father, the hero did get a young artist award nomination for Catherine Heigl as best young actress in a motion picture. She loses to Anna Klumsky in my girl too. Um, we always like to wrap up the shows by trying to see if either of the films we discuss would fit that Disney ideal that Jeffrey Katzenberg had of these singles and doubles. And I'll be honest with you, Chad, I, I really thought both of these low cost, high reward, you know, they, they tried to go back to the well of remaking a French comedy like they've done with Three Men and a Baby and Three Fugitives. You know, it, I would say uneven results, but it did kind of reestablish their relationship with Gerard Depardieu. You know, and as we've mentioned, Blank Check was a situation where I feel like the premise was more prominent than the stars, mm -hmm. you know, and, and, and then as we were three decades on, I really think it fits in well with their catalog. It's the kind of film that I could see getting rediscovered in the streaming era, mm -hmm. where if somebody who saw it at a younger age and now they've got kids and they'd be like, oh, my God, I love this movie. It's something it's good family, wholesome programming that they could watch. And, and my kids would appreciate it. If they wanted to watch it on on a streaming platform. Yeah. No, I agree with you. I think my father, the hero, again, I don't know how popular the French film was. I don't, haven't seen it, uh, but Disney did like buying French films and remaking them with success. So I can see why they did so. And then blank check is, like I said, it's just that good kind of low budget film that, Hey, you know, you don't, you don't have to make a hundred million. You just get the target audience to go see it. And, that's good enough. And then I'm sure the, you know, uh, the VHS home market was probably, you know, pretty good as well, which I was, I was just going to say the same thing. I, I, I bet you it probably did pretty well. I, I could see that video box at the, at the blockbuster yeah. when, I was, you know, when I was in college. Well, I said, if, if, if anybody wants to watch these again, my father, the hero, watch at your own risk. You know, maybe, maybe you might like the stars involved. Uh, that film is streaming on hoopla, the, wonderful streaming service from the public library. And again, as we mentioned, Blank Check is available on Disney+, Plus, not a sponsor. Well, what are we looking at on our next episode? We're going to move right along into March of 1994, where Touchstone is going to release a Christmas film. Well, which one is it? You're just going to have to tune in next time to find out. Again, my name is Mike DeKalb. You can find me on Twitter, at Mike DeKalb. I also run the Out of Touchstone Twitter account. It's at Out of Touchstone. If you want to shoot me an email, it's out of touchstone at gmail.com. My co-host, Chad Smart, he's also on Twitter, at Chad Smart. 
he and I co-host another podcast together called Wonder Why, where we look at one-hit wonders. We're doing a lot of 80s one-hit wonders now. Chad, who do we got on our next episode? Uh, we will be discussing the actual not one-hit wonder. We've kind of expanded the show to just be kind of looking at musicians that uh, don't get enough recognition for their bodies of work. I'll just say it that way. But we'll yeah. be looking at Kim Carnes, who I believe she had Betty Davis eyes. Oh, yes, she did. Yes, she did. All right. Any final thoughts, Chad, on these two geared towards younger audiences films that we got to discuss today? Um, I think even if you gave me a blank check, there's not a number large enough I could fill it in for me to watch My Father the Hero again. This is Out of Touchstone, and we're out of time. Out of Touchstone is a Honey Nerds production. For more information, visit outoftouchstone.com. Like and subscribe on iTunes, Podbean, or wherever you find your podcasts. Thanks for listening. So, you're cool, I'm cool, we're cool, thank you, good night.